Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the author's books and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. We were discussing Dr. Smith's book, in particular the area on progressivism. And today, we're going to pick up the conversation with Drs. Buzakelli and Dr. Smith, along with our special guest, Joe Grossheim, to discuss conservatism. So we've talked a lot about um, progressivism so far. What mm-hmm. about conservatism? That that seems to be the, uh, I mean, that's the opposite side of this coin, right? Right. Yeah, so those are our two, you know, sort of, uh, you know, dialectical components <laughs> or opponents, right? Um, in, in, in our contemporary politics, uh, I think progressivism um, and conservatism, I think libertarianism, frankly, is kind of an outlier. I think it's interesting. It's part of the conversation. Uh, but frankly, it's it's pretty s- small in its total, you know, uh, following and, and and impetus. The number uh, of people who would actually be characterized, I suppose, as true libertarians is pretty pretty small. Right? Pretty small. I mean, there are yeah. a number of conservatives, yeah. mm-hmm. I would yeah. say, who have libertarian sympathies. Sure, sure. And we yeah. talked a little bit before about um, about you know how at a pragmatic level one mm-hmm. might one might be a conservative right and mm-hmm. think that that a libertarian approach to government action mm-hmm. is most likely to achieve conservative ends mm-hmm. but but actually libertarianism based upon a socially atomistic model of the human right right yeah is yeah. pretty unusual mm-hmm. yeah yeah especially like in the say the murray rothbard version now again there are definite followers right uh but um, and, and the people who do follow Murray Rothbard tend to do so with a great deal of zeal, <laughs> I'll say. Um, but but yeah, I think it's kind of a, the minority report, we'll say. Um, uh, you know, conservatism in some ways kind of grows up as a reaction against uh, progressivism, uh, especially that's true in the modern period, or against radicalism. Uh, that's kind of both one of its strengths and its weaknesses. It is reactionary, uh, I think, as a political stance historically. By mm-hmm. reactionary, I don't mean that in the technical sense of like wanting to reestablish the French monarchy, uh, but uh, you know that's like being reactionary in the technical <laughs> sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but by by sort of reacting to radicalism or reacting to progressivism, you think about probably the the first modern conservative is Edmund Burke. Uh, interestingly, he's actually a member of the Whig Party in England, right? Which is the more classically liberal party. He's not a Tory, actually. Um, he's a member of the Whig Party, which mean, meant at the time he was kind of a classical liberal. But he saw some elements in liberalism and in Enlightenment thought in general that made him really say, wait a second, we need to step back here and think about the role of custom and the role of tradition and the role of hierarchy. Maybe like, so like Burke wasn't a Tory. He didn't want to go back to like throne and altar, but he, so he was, he was a classical liberal in some ways, but he also said, we need to maybe keep more tradition and custom and hierarchy than we may have thought beforehand. Right. Of course, his most famous work is, um, if I remember correctly, reflections on the revolution in France. Right. So he's reacting to, right. The, uh, the problems and, and, and so forth in the, the French, uh, the French Revolution. Um, in our own, in America, conservatism really starts as a reaction against progressivism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting, something I'm very interested in researching in the future, uh, are uh, arguments pro and con at the end of the 19th century or in early 20th century regarding public education. Because one of the areas that progressives really pushed, right, was uh, um, compulsory education, mm-hmm. right? And public education. Really interesting. You can find Catholic bishops opposing those. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And you can also find conserv like in America, c- American conservatives opposing those those ideas. Seems wild to in us. In England, now. in England, yeah. of course, uh, Hillary Bellock and G.K. Chesterton opposed. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's interesting, right? That conservatives were pretty, pretty, you know, put it this way, that was a defining issue for conservatives, uh-huh. right? Like opposition to those kinds of moves, right? Um, and I, I, I think personally, in retrospect, I, I think they were right. <laughs> okay. Uh, but um, I'll set that aside for now. The, um, uh, um, so 
a lot of those, uh, a lot of conservatism is a reaction against, right, the growth of progressivism. So again, if you think of progressivism as we're going to use scientific learning and political power to eliminate suffering and to eliminate inequality, right? That's the program, right? Uh, you could ask me, like, why, why would anybody be against why that? Why would you oppose that? <laughs> right. so, and, and, and you could see how a conservative might say, okay, right? Um, as long as we retain our focus on certain principles that aren't negotiable, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Like who, I, I don't know the guy who would, say that we shouldn't use technology to improve uh you know like to, to we could make water available to people who don't have water sure um mm -hmm. i don't know the guy who'd be opposed to that I, yeah of course i think the question is and and uh let's take a, a very concrete example electrification in the south right in the uh, mid, middle of the 20th century Amity shells has a wonderful book she's a historian uh on that period called the forgotten man and one of the things is like, you know, like who would be against bringing electricity to the South? Electricity had not come to the South to the same degree as the rest of the country at that point. In fact, it was way behind. Who would be against that, right? Well, um, all of the local private people who were trying to do that themselves, who got shoved out and got their businesses shut down when the government decided to come in and do it. Do, do you follow oh, yeah. me, right? Well, the so methods, like, though, the methods, right? right. Yeah. We might argue about that, but because there is a principle at stake here, mm -hmm. and that is subsidiarity. That's right. That's right. Right. Yes. Um, but but the idea mm -hmm. of bringing electricity to people, sure. making sure. it possible for that to happen. Yeah, but a lot is in the method, right? And a lot is in the means uh, that you adopt, and I think that's often what conservatives are uh, uh, historically have been concerned with, right? Mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, I think that the, the main issue, not the only, um, so conservatives kind of had two issues they're dealing with. One is reacting against progressivism, but also modifying classical liberalism to address some of its uh, problems. So I think the way I put it in the book is that conservatives are against the imprudence of classical liberalism and against um, the kind of um, pretensions uh, and aspirations and expansiveness of uh, progressivism, right? Um, that's kind of directing in, in both directions there. So I, I, one of the things I got from your book was, um, was it seems to me that there's, there's a point of demarcation. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of the way I came across, mm -hmm. the, the, way, the way it came across to me. Mm -hmm. Because of this bent that there is in progressivism on science and right. expertise and so forth, mm -hmm. right? There does seem to me to be this idea that in the end, there isn't really such thing as human self-determination. The variable that comes along with human beings actually being able to decide this way or that. <laughs> that if we right. just have, if we really do have enough knowledge if we right. really understand the principles here enough right. then we will be able to manipulate things in a keynesian kind of economic way right say mm. uh in such a way that people will behave in the ways that we that we that our model predicts mm -hmm. and we'll we'll be able to so right now it's true there are all kinds of variables and things don't always turn out the way we want but that's only because we don't know enough <laughs> right. if we knew more we would be able to we'd be able to construct better models and sure. deliver yeah. more consistent, reliable outcomes. Mm -hmm. Whereas it seems to me that on the conservative side, that thesis is just flatly denied. Mm -hmm. There is this variable that we can't control, which is human self-determination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think that um, progressives have a, a very high degree of confidence in sociology. Uh -huh. uh, but you can find a whole, I mean, there's a whole, you go, go look on Amazon. There is an endless number of books on nudging, right? What can we do to nudge people in the right direction? 
the right direction. They've already determined. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. What, 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 in, what way can we manipulate the incentives to just push people a little bit this way? Right. And then um, if you get enough of those nudges together, that's the term they use nudges, right? If you get enough of them together, then we can produce the ideal American citizen or whatever, um, you know, the healthy American citizen. Um, so, yeah, I think you're, you're right uh, about that, Rich. You know, it's that if we get the environment right, eventually, uh, with enough expertise, we can get the a predictable outcome, um, and, uh, you know, and as defined as we want it to, <laughs> to be, right? You know, the, uh, again, uh, uh, I hate to always get back to him, but he just, the older I get, the more I realize how important he is to some of the things I think about, but C.S. Lewis and the abolition of man in the third part uh-huh. talks about, right? that eventually what you're going to get into is the makers of, of men who are themselves actually men, right? Yeah. Where, you know, we just, you know, in the background, there's somebody saying, oh, and this is the desirable outcome, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, uh, of all those, of all those nudges. Um, but yeah, sure. Um, and I think conservatives have a, a less, first off, I think conservatives don't want some group of experts to come up with a human ideal about what everybody should be, right? Um, that they didn't impose on everyone. But then in addition to that, I think they're more skeptical. Uh, and that's because mm-hmm. I think, you know, you're probably right. They have a different view about uh, human nature. Uh, one of the things you mentioned- the COVID thing, mm-hmm. right? So often people who oppose mask mandates are characterized as libertarians. I think that is false. Uh, although in some cases probably true, but, but in, in most cases probably false. I, I think that it's the mandate part that they don't, <laughs> that they don't like, right? Uh, so if you tell people, look, here's our, here's our situation. These are the kinds of things that might control the situation that might mitigate it mm-hmm. uh, and then and then leave people to um to their to their own arena of of action mm-hmm. it's the encroachment on subsidiarity that i think that mm-hmm. that actually represents much of the rebellion that you see out there what do you think about that if could i just jump in here i sure I, I think that um conservatives largely seem to have a lot of the right ideas um, like they, they seem to be operating it as if subsidiarity is somehow underlying what they want. I think you're, you're pointing that out correctly. I don't think that most of them know that that is the case. So this <laughs> that's is probably uh, true. Well, that's probably true. Actually, actually, go on. Yeah, so this is, a, I think this is a, a, a key point that mm. Dr. Smith brings up in this chapter, right? So the chapter he calls ordered Liberty mm-hmm. um, and the, the order that's being put into liberty here is coming from tradition and from custom, right? This is what mm-hmm. conservatives, you know, the down-home folk right. are trying to carry forward into their liberty. They've got certain rules and, and procedures and ways of being that they want to live out. Sure. You know, but what has happened is progressives enter into dialogue with the conservative and they say, oh, so you're, you're an advocate for traditional marriage. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Right. And in the conservative, you know, not having deeply studied natural law or anything like that, don't really have a good answer. Right? right. Some of them, some of them will appeal to their religion. Right. And then they have some sort of answer. But that's not good enough, really, for the certainly not for the progressive. And for many sure. conservatives, they need something deeper, too. And what the progressive then charges the conservative with. Right. Mm-hmm. Is the phobia. Right. right You've right, got right. a irrational. Right. Fear. Fear yeah. of this new behavior right mm-hmm. you, you're mm-hmm. you're clinging to your guns and your religion <laughs> right, right? Uh, your customs and mm-hmm. your faith mm-hmm. but you don't have a rational basis for any of these mm-hmm. traditions and customs that you want to espouse so you mm-hmm. might say mm-hmm. i i value self-determination i don't want the mask mandate i i for some reason right well mm-hmm. i just think that's bad is an important good mm-hmm. right it's one of the things that they would that the, that the price is too high, I think, is what a lot of people would say. And this goes to the whole thing about, you know, so the question is, what are you conserving? Mm-hmm. And right, so you, you, you would, th- I think this is really one of the central issues. If we're going to talk about conservatism, we need to know what 
it mm-hmm. is that's being conserved, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. and and Joe is touching on on what that is, right? It's mm-hmm. you say it clearly in your book. But why mm-hmm. don't you remind yeah. us of what those things are? Sure. So I mean, I think that uh, conservatives uh, are class are are they grow out of classical liberalism, uh-huh. right? So in that sense, they are committed to liberty. Um, but I think an ordered liberty, right? So it's a an exercise of what I like to say is self-governance, right? Um, I like the term self-governance um, because it does have this sense of order to it um, uh-huh. and control. Uh, so it's not a kind of pure voluntarism kind of issue yeah. uh-huh. right here we're talking about for a conservative. What the conservative relies on is uh, natural law and custom mm-hmm. to guide uh, his exercise of liberty. Um, natural law, right, of course, is a contentious issue in our contemporary world. It wasn't 100 years ago, um, or and certainly not 150 years ago, certainly not when the founders were uh, working in America. Uh, that there are certain basic moral principles that we can know, right? We can know the, the clear to our natural reason. Um, the way Thomas Reed puts it, uh, who he's very influential in the American scene, um, is that, you know, it's natural to all men to know that they should do what is proportionate, right, to who and what they are, right? And that's just kind of the way he puts it. You know, he's like, we, this is just a self-evident principle of morality. If you're going to be moral, this is, this is what you must do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's funny. You can actually find Thomas Reed quoted in Supreme Court cases in the early, uh, early parts of the, of the Republic, the American Republic. Um, so what conservatives, I think, want to conserve then is, is natural law and the way that uh, natural law and custom as guides to self-governance, right? So that's, there's several things at play here that they want to conserve. They do want to conserve self-governance, I think from a Catholic perspective, what we could call subsidiarity. Um, but that's that conserving of liberty involves a conception of liberty or of self-governance that includes natural law and includes uh, custom. Natural law, I think kind of a shorthand version of natural law, like the every man's version of natural law, you could say, uh-huh. basically comes down to, you know, like, you know, act according to the truth or something like what Thomas Reed talked about, but really then comes down to um, you know, God, family, and country, right? That is that, that you, you know, you honor God, um, you work hard for your family, you protect your family, you raise your family, you're devoted to sacrificing yourself for your family, and you're a patriot, right? That is, you, you love your country. Um, and that those, those are the kind of things that, that help to guide you in your self-governance, along with custom. Now, Custom, uh, I think, is important and often neglected for a variety of reasons. Uh, for a variety of reasons, but it really shouldn't. And I think a lot of philosophers kind of drop this out, even working within the natural law tradition. Um, kind of forget just how important uh, custom is. Custom is important at one hand because it's just kind of a shorthand way for us to to exercise, uh, to work together, and to cooperate together. You know, like when you know <laughs> before our current you know, medical uh, pandemic or whatever, um, you know, shaking hands, right? It, like that's yeah. a custom. There's no particular reason to shake somebody's right hand, uh, right? But but amongst amongst people in our culture, that means something, right? It's a, it's a quick way to say, hey, I'm, I, uh, I'm a good guy. I think you're a good guy. We're going to work together, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, if you were to refuse to shake somebody's hand, that's actually mm. saying something, <laughs> you know, mm. you're really signifying there, right? So actually, I think custom's really important for our practical reasoning, uh, just in that way. Um, but also, and this is a, a Thomist position, custom very often is an expression of public reason. Uh, that is, custom is not completely arbitrary. It's the work of reason over time within a given social context. Um, and that, that, that actually, you know, you might say, um, particular forms of etiquette between men and women are not absolutely necessary, right? But a certain kind of etiquette and reserve between men and women is actually necessary as we've learned to, uh, as yeah. we've learned since we got rid of it, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And so public, pu- like public reason in that way over time says, okay, well, one thing we're going to do is we're going to um, uh, make sure that courtship is chaperoned, right? This idea of young men and young women being alone in rooms by themselves, right, would have been crazy to people even 100 years ago. What are you thinking? Mm-hmm. You're not thinking at all, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, we've gotten rid of all that sort of thing. But the... Um, uh, um, you know, universities used to act in loco parentis, right? With respect to uh, students, right? That is in the place of the parents. And what they, you know, they would, they would have rules, you know, about these sorts of things. Um, so anyways, I think tradition is um, more important, right? And I think conservatives recognize that. Maybe they can't always explain why, right? Um, but I think, um, you know, uh, there's there's a lot to be to be said about uh, in favor of tradition, and so I think that's what conservatives want to uphold, right? Like, you know, if you if you strip away cu- all custom, you're not going to have much patriotism left, for example, right? Yeah, that's you right. know that kind of thing, that's and right. um, and that's what conservatives I think are that's the positive message, right? I think of conservatism, right, is self governance. Mm-hmm. under natural law, God, country, family, and regulated by uh, custom and tradition. Does yeah. That, so does that kind of answer what you're, or at least go towards? Yeah, yeah. So what do you think would then be the reason for the decline of so many customs, right? If customs, mm-hmm. if, if we have received custom and tradition from our parents, mm-hmm. uh, and our parents at least know that there is a reason, and they might even vaguely be able to articulate what the reason is for certain mm-hmm. traditions or customs mm-hmm. it just seems that everywhere you look whatever custom you have is being overthrown mm-hmm. now is that something you're gonna just say belongs to the more neo-marxist developments that come later in the book mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a certainly a major source yeah. of it right yeah uh, i do think that um that there is a side of classical liberalism that it's not anti liberalism is not anti-traditional. Um, it allows for traditions to flourish. Right. Um, but think about the invention of the teenager, right? Oh uh, yeah. That's a, that, that's something that was created by, by uh, marketing departments, right? It didn't exist. Right. Um, the teenager as a demographic to sell products and goods and services to, right? And that was, I mean, kind of sad to say, kind of a, a thing that capitalists did, right? Like mm-hmm. they invented the teenager um, in order to sell to the teenager. And, you know, uh, it went along with certain technological changes. Cars got cheaper. Parents allowed their kids to drive their cars to go to part-time jobs. And that gave them a little bit of discretionary money. And mm-hmm. marketers realized, hey, We've got this new group of customers out there that we can tap into directly. And I'm not making this up. Like we've got, like, we know that this is what happened, right? We've got it on record. And you like, the, the, voila, right? Teenage culture became a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was a mistake. <laughs> you know? uh, but, but point being, right, you know, that sometimes inadvertently, I'm not thinking that like the, the guys who are sitting back here thinking, Hey, we can sell a bunch of records to these teenagers. Right. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, that they're, that they're, you know, they're thinking like, I want to make some money. They're not thinking well, we're going to, we're going to radically change the culture, but they did, uh-huh. you know, inadvertently, but they did. So sometimes I think there are things like that, uh, that subvert tradition and subvert, uh, custom, um, technological changes, you know, market changes, things of, of that, of that sort, um, and that's just, you know, that is just kind of, I think, I think to some degree part of, of life, uh, certainly. I, I think, and, I know, think today though, I, I think, think so. today that a lot of it is deliberate. A lot of, a lot of it oh, is sure. mm-hmm. pe- yeah. people go out of their way to change it. Um, and for example, the word change has become a kind of slogan. Sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's good in itself. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, um, but but one of the things I, I think is at issue here, right, is that there's a, a kind of an epistemological move that gets made that even conservatives have, for the most part, bought into. And that is that we should question everything out extra. Mm-hmm. Right. So in other words, um, I'm always questioning from the outside, not from the inside. 
Mm-hmm. If I question from the inside, and this is, an, you know, this is something theologically, this is an important distinction, right? To question mm-hmm. ad intra versus ad extra. Mm-hmm. The ad intra question is the one that says, um, I may not know why such and such a thing is the case, or I may not understand it, but I know that it has some meaning, some mm-hmm. value. A and I, so I'm asking the question yeah. from this perspective of trust mm-hmm. to understand what I don't currently understand. Mm-hmm. The odd extra question, right, presupposes that a thing needs to be justified if it's to be accepted or believed. Mm-hmm. And, and that move, I think, is, is part of what's at issue. Mm-hmm. Because, right, the, um, because custom, custom is the way Dr. Smith was describing it, right? So it, it grows organically out of sure. history. And... Um, and history isn't lived by any one person, right? It's lived right. by all of us over time, yeah. over generations. Mm-hmm. So if, if on Thomas's model, right? I mean, think about as an analogy, the way different trees might grow in different environments, right? So you've got, you've got an oak tree here and an oak tree there. They're the same mm-hmm. species of tree. Maybe they were even cut from the same mm-hmm. sapling and planted in the ground, right? So they're genetically, they're identical to each other, but, but they're growing in different places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as they grow, the sun is different, the mm-hmm. microclimate is different, mm-hmm. and they develop different uh, shapes. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of the way, you know, the difference between the, the customs in, in uh, Normandy versus the customs, sure. Sure. right? In, yeah, and one of the one of the I think epistemological advantages of tradition, right? So again, we have this view that tradition is just arbitrary, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think it is. I mean, like I say, the particular mannerisms might be a little bit, uh, you know, are, are might be contingent, right? Uh, but I don't think the the roots of it are are arbitrary. You know, you think about custom and tradition and, and using the agricultural, right? This is the man of experience in Aristotle, right? Who, who may not understand why, but he knows that, right? And for a lot of life, that's really sufficient you know, in terms of, of navigating things. Uh, now he might be able to give you kind of a rough and ready answer to it, uh, explanation, but maybe he can't give you a deep one. Let me just like, what, uh, and gardening is exactly like that. Right. Mm-hmm. When you when you get into gardening, right, you, you kind of start asking questions and, you know, people give you, oh, I did this and this happened. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. explain it chemically. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, to be perfectly honest, if somebody started to explain it all to me chemically, I might be like, that's more than I would need to know, really. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I just need to know when I want to when to plant the thing. Right. Um, so I think the um, uh, tradition just is that kind of feedback loop of. I'm, I'm doing something, I've got certain goals, certain things happen, I want to avoid those in the future, I'm going to do this thing now, right, so that it's, it is actually empirically uh, informative, right, or it's based on a certain empirical basis, even if it's not strictly scientific, either philosophically or yeah. in contemporary terms. Yeah, well, one of the things with the gardening example, you know, is that gardeners all agree as to what the end of gardening is sure. to be, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and that's that's precisely, I think, the problem. So mm-hmm. you can, I can go and ask a gardener who's just a man of experience who mm-hmm. can't explain the biochemistry of his soil and why his tomatoes sure. are coming. Just tell me what he has done and what has worked. Yeah, sure. Because we already agree as to what the good is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't agree about what the good is, or you don't have a reason to count of what the good is, then I don't know if tradition's going to get you sure. very far. Yeah, right. I agree. And that's I mean, where I think uh, your your account of the common good adds to mm-hmm. conservatism, right? Conservatism right. needs not just tradition and custom as sort of something that works, but something that works for a very certain and definable, knowable good, right? Right. That we can all yeah. work for together. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Uh, thanks, Joe. Uh, you're right. And I think, you know, ultimately custom's not sufficient because occasionally custom gets it wrong also, right? Yeah, yeah, say, yeah. Right. And so we need an account of something beyond custom as valuable as it is. Um, and so, you know, my uh, examples earlier about uh, courtship etiquette, 
presuppose a certain goal, right? Right. That is uh, chaste courtship leading to fruitful and virtuous right. marriage. Right. right. If the goal is fornication, <laughs> then being alone That's is precisely right. what you want, That's right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And you love the invention of the teenager, right? <laughs> I mean, you think about you think about like the uh, being alone in a car making out, right? <laughs> that is teenage culture, right? <laughs> right. Uh. The, anyway, so. Um, uh, yeah, I think you have to have that. And so, you know, what I, it's really interesting when you look at Thomas on this, right? Uh, Thomas is very earthy on this point, which I really appreciate. He says, look, it, I mean, I said basic goods and services to kind of make it more you know, contemporary, but he says it's bodily and temporal goods, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the just use, exchange, and development of uh, bodily goods within a historically definable, you know, community. Um, uh, so he's talking about houses, clothes, <laughs> food, also sex and marriage, right? Because that involves bodily goods, obviously, right? You have to have some living bodies, right? And uh, that comes from sex and marriage. So um, those are the things that we're looking for, but we're looking for it in a virtue, like those things to be done and developed virtuously above all with justice uh but also uh more generally uh in accordance with um with virtue and then of course that's that's fairly contentious today obviously right um but i think you know you can hang your hat on justice and and get a lot uh make a a lot of of uh uh of headway Um, provided you agree on what the definition of justice is which Yeah, we don't. And, and, you know, the, I, the side that would disagree with an Aristotelian account of that is just wrong, right? They're an error. <laughs> you know, what can I say? You know, like justice is rendering what is due to another, right? And um, that's just flat true. Um, then you can sort of expand off of that and say, well, what's due to me is to um, just get, you know, have to borrow money and never pay it back, right? Uh, right, and then it's like, well, how's that work? Why, why? <laughs> right? You know, why, why is it that you, you should be able to borrow money and never pay it back? Um, so, um, but you're right. I mean, obviously th- those are, are, are contentious issues. And in other parts of the book, I try to you know, advance why, you know, like what I think justice is and, and why it makes the most sense and, and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, if you have, uh, that is your goal, right? then you can say, oh, and these traditions have done a good job of advancing it, right? Uh, you know, yeah. this is one of the reasons I think, I think we are kind of naturally oriented in this direction. Of course, with sin, it becomes more complicated. Um, but I think we're naturally ordered towards um, wanting to have a just development of, of goods and services, basic goods and services. Um Lots of things uh, get in the way, but traditions grow up as a way to advance that, right? We find out what works, uh, what's uh, in, in those terms. And I think traditional marriage and, you know, all the etiquette that goes around it goes along with that, right? <laughs> that, the, you know, the, the, that uh, these sorts of strictures help to advance this common good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that we, we share together. And I think for conservatives, you know, how, you know, the, I don't know rhetorically the best way to, to articulate that maybe, um, but we can think about it, right? As, as I think, you know, uh, our just prosperity together or something along those lines. Um, and I think that's what conservatives are aiming towards. Now, very importantly, that includes a proper respect for the proper function of the parts, right? Uh, which loops back around to, you know, the opposition to progressivism. I actually think that progressives are entirely wrong about the nature of the common good. And, and that, that the common good actually includes a robust uh, subsidiarity, a robust um, um, self-governance, to put it in American terms, uh, of the parts. Um, and so that, it's contrary to the common good, right? To try to do to try to take over functions that are proper to the family, are proper to uh, um, you know various associations or local communities. Um, those um, 
should be left to those associations and local communities, um, both because it's just and because it's more efficacious for the common good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think conservatism, you know, has lacked that language and that model to explain itself uh, sometimes, right? And so conservatives are actually, I think, pretty good at making negative arguments against progressivism. Yeah. Well, wow. but, but but you need a you need a you need a you need a better you need a uh, um you know I mean you, you could you, you need a, a a positive foundation, right? Um, and I think the common good kind of provides that. One of the things you point out towards the end of this chapter is that conservatives are just not doing a good job. Like I know sure. you like mm-hmm. sometimes they they do make sort of. They make arguments, let's say, mm-hmm. at least. Uh, I don't know what we'll call them good, but they make arguments against the progressive agenda, but they lose all <laughs> the time. And so what, what they do, I, one of my colleagues in Houston, you know, says that conservatives are just the slower version of mm-hmm. liberals, right? And you mm-hmm. say basically the same thing at the end of this chapter, that they just move the goalpost all the time. And you've sure. already indicated some of that uh, here today. You know, they, they, at, at one point, they're they're opposed to something, and the next generation of conservatives are defending mm-hmm. that and just opposing some even further progressive agenda. Sure. But there's not really a, a winning that no. happens in conservatives, um, and so all these things that they were really set out to oppose as reactionary mm-hmm. to anti-communism, reaction reactionary uh, against uh, progressivism, mm-hmm. uh, they they've not really done well mm-hmm. in doing their job and they certainly haven't done anything to restore any any point that's been lost mm-hmm. along the way right mm-hmm. since their conception mm-hmm. and i think the reason for that what you have to assign to them is that they do not have mm-hmm. a well-established anthropology mm-hmm. notion of the human good and how that terminates mm-hmm. in a political common good because mm-hmm. they don't have that sort of foundation right when right, they are opposed right. by the progressive they mm-hmm. are so vulnerable to the charge of a phobia that they just capitulate generation uh-huh. to generation. Sure, sure. Well, we've, yeah. we've lost the vocabulary too, right? Yeah. I think uh, there are several things there. I mean, you could say why, I mean, you def- and I say, yeah, I don't think conservatives have been successful or that they've, I think the way I put it is that they have uh, kind of slowed the, the corruption uh, of Western politics from progressivism. Uh, but haven't really turned the turn the tide. Yeah. Um, the um, so there's probably a variety of reasons that I mean I think one of them was uh, for sure that conser- uh, what you're saying right is that, that because they don't have this conception of the common good um, that that's problematic. That's where I think we have to part ways often with libertarians, right? Because unfortunately, libertarians tend to think that the that there isn't an already set good, right? Mm-hmm. This is why I say in several places earlier in the book, you know, that one of the common failures of the Enlightenment is to to prioritize liberty over the good, right? Uh, or freedom over the good. What you have to have is the good is prior to freedom. One of my friends who is very conservative uh, politically, but not an Aristotelian, just it's not his background, was reading the book and he, he's like, man, I've never struggled. I, I've really struggled with that. <laughs> and this is a good guy, actually. Like he's I mean, like as far as like his moral, his family and everything. But he's like, the goods prior to freedom. I, I don't know. You're like, you know, like, yes, it is. <laughs> um, and uh, he's coming around. But the uh, uh, um, you know, once you think about it, I think to most conservative people, it does start to make sense. Uh, but. Um, it, it is something that um, isn't sort of, I guess, natural to our vocabulary. I think we're shy of it or something. or just kind of embarrassed to try to claim that there is an objective good out there. I don't think that our forefathers had that problem. I think their problem is that yeah. they just thought it was just there and nobody was going to really question whether or not drunkenness is a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it's just obviously bad, right? Um uh, or abortion or these other things. Right. Um, and so, um, that didn't leave us with enough of an argumentative basis. Right. I mean, I think they thought those things would kind of take care of themselves in terms of the people following the natural law. Now, again, they're very clear, right. Um, the founders are that 
this kind of thing really only works for virtuous and religious people, <laughs> right? So they're assuming that Americans are going to be virtuous and religious, um, which may be a flaw on their part, you know, uh, but uh, there's that. I think one thing, uh, though, um, I mean, I think the sexual revolution is just something conservatives have not been consistent enough and trenchant enough in their opposition to it. The goal, like I say, the goalposts just kind of keep moving. Um, and, you know, they, and I think that might be because even though they're, they're usually right at the moment in what they're opposing, right? It's because they lack the kind of foundational principles, right? That, that, that you're talking about um, that are, that are rooted in the, the natural law. Um, so, uh, you know, probably also there's a, a lot of, um, a lot of our modern education, right, is opposed to the idea of the priority of the good uh, and that the good is real, um, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right uh, in, in some of your uh, assessment there. And that's why I think conservatives need that classical perspective added into the mix. I think a lot of them don't know that it's there. And that's where mm -hmm. I hope the book is really instructive for people. I think a mm -hmm. lot of people just have received it as handed on and, and maybe they read some lock or they heard the word mm -hmm. natural law at some point and they know that there's something out there called natural law, but they deeply misunderstand it. They think it's mm -hmm. maybe it's just whatever we automatically do or something right, like that. Right, um, right. And, and yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people, and certainly not a lot of universities, they don't study Aristotle and St. Thomas mm -hmm. deeply. So mm -hmm. people won't have this, uh, mm -hmm. but hopefully, hopefully the book is instructive on that point. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I, I think the, uh, yeah, recovering, recovering that vision is, is necessary. Um, I'm not, this would be, this would be a good question. I think just psychologically and sociologically to ask or to research is when is it the case that, that moral claims in political rhetoric rooted in natural law just dropped out of public discourse? Do you know, like I'd be interested to know when that kind of occurred and, and sort of was it gradual, was it sudden? Um, you know, uh, that sort of thing, I think would be, would be good to know. Richard, you have a thought you wanted to add in? Well, yeah, I was thinking, you know, that sometimes when you, um, when you look at what comes across as an anti-intellectualism among some conservatives, right? I, I wonder if what it really, what it really is, is a revelation. It's sort of like this, it shows um, that in fact, we don't any longer have the framework within which to articulate these um, these positions. We we don't right. we don't have an adequate understanding of the role of tradition mm -hmm. in connection with the common good or what the common good really is. We mm -hmm. can't put any of that into words. Mm -hmm. um, and so, what we end up with is everybody is really a sentimentalist. Both the progressive and the conservative is a sentimentalist. And his response is, well, I just feel blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And that's where he gets labeled with the phobia, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. right? The phobia accusation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's true. I would say this, that conservatives do at least have the principle of subsidiarity in some form. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of confused, but I do think that that is a principle, not an outcome that they... Mm -hmm. um, focus on it's probably some of their best appeal right is um a sense that self-governance is is good is simply good in itself right and that uh, it's wrong right for someone to take over what i can self-govern um now again you might you know want to say more you should say more uh, uh -huh. philosophically mm -hmm. um but that is a principle and i think that they're right on it um again i mean you'd want to make it more nuanced and, and so forth. But, um, uh, that's, it comes to, it, that principle is only a principle in connection with a certain understanding of the human person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And if I can't articulate my understanding of the human person, then I'm, sure. I'm not going to be able to ground that principle. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, you at least have to, and this is the thing, like, I don't know, I don't know why we don't learn this stuff more or study it more, but it, maybe there's a, <laughs> Maybe there's an agenda to that, but like, 
you know, even just Locke, and I, I'm not like a Lockean, but at the same time, Locke does have a thin version of the natural law. It's too thin, but it's there and it's it's operative. Like, why don't we at least get a little bit of John Locke in our civics class? I mean, they, like, you know, um, the Declaration, of, I mean, it, it seems like it would be an obvious thing, like if you're studying the, t- the Declaration of Independence, right? Let's study the Declaration of Independence. Well, why do we have rights to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness? You know, <laughs> like, that's a Because stated. the Declaration of Independence says we do. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> oh. Self-evident. <laughs> um, one of the most disturbing things I saw in a commercial one time is they were, it was this patriotic looking commercial. I think it was an army recruiting uh, commercial. So of course it was patriotic, but it was quoting the Declaration of Independence, but dropped out, created and dropped out endowed by, uh, by, endowed by their creator. Um, so like it, it dropped that part out and said, we declare uh, that all men are created equal uh, and have a right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, but not dropped out endowed by their by the creator, you know, like, yeah, well, Barack Obama. Did. Yeah. Sorry, what? Barack Obama did that at one point. Did he really? Yeah, uh, reference the Declaration of Independence and. Yeah, I mean the you know for Locke, um, you know there's a, some scholarly argument about this. How necessary is God in John Locke's uh, account? I've had different opinions about that over my career. Um, I tend to think that it's not just icing um, uh-huh. these days, but. You know, I, I think that's a matter of dispute, but certainly he had a view of natural law, right? That is that there's something good about our nature, right? And that we naturally endowed with rights to life, liberty, and uh, property. So once again, right, we're trying to, to, to understand what a conservative is, right? We're, right. we're trying mm-hmm. to conserve mm-hmm. custom, tradition, mm-hmm. um, an awareness of the natural law, right? Mm-hmm. The place of the place of a moral um, a moral framework in self governance, right? Yeah. Right. So these are the kinds of these are the kinds of things that conservatism means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what I find interesting about this is um, you can really begin to understand the contemporary divide very clearly. Why society? Why our society is so sharply divided? Mm-hmm. To the point, actually, where it's questionable whether it can go on this way, whether we can coexist in the same political community anymore. Um, When, for example, Barack Obama in that very famous remark Mm -hmm. during, I think it was his, when he was running for the presidency the first time, he he talked about um, conservatives, describing them as people who cling to their God, guns, Bible, and religion. And that disparaging, dismissive way of talking about conservatives, right? Sure. I think really characterizes, first of all, the progressive attitude mm-hmm. toward conservatism. And at the same time, it encapsulates really what the fundamental concerns are. And yeah. I don't want to say, you know, the conservatives are all about guns. That's not the point. Sure, sure, sure. The guns here is a stand-in for <laughs> self-governance. Sure. For, uh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's that's a good that's a good example. Thanks, Rich. And um, I think um, for progressives, uh, I was listening recently to a podcast by uh, Albert Moeller, who's pretty politically astute uh-huh. guy. And, you know, he kind of made this point that progressives find conservatives to be at the very least mysterious, like kind of incomprehensible. Uh Right. Um, I think that's kind of interesting. Right. There's actually been a number of sociological studies done where they demonstrate that conservatives understand progressives better than progressives understand conservatives, Uh um, which is really interesting uh, as well. But with that comment you're talking about in the speech made by President Obama, or soon to be President Obama, um, and then other issues, like there was this book, famous book that came out that's called What's Wrong with Kansas, right? It was literally like, what's wrong with Kansas, right? It was written from a progressive point of view. And both of those statements had to do with the, the view that from the progressive perspective, these people are acting contrary to their own interest. They don't really understand what's in their interest. If they would just get along, right? Come on in, right? To the progressive way of doing things. 
right? Then they would be better off. We'd all be better off. We'd, we'd use political power and scientific knowledge to make, to create greater satisfaction in life. Right. The, the, and I think that has, that's rooted in kind of the, the outcomes perspective that progressives tend to focus on. I really do think that a lot that conservatives, even if they can't defend them or explain them very well, are kind of deontologists. Right? Uh, <laughs> that, uh, is, and, uh, that is, they think that there are just some things that are right and wrong. And, you know, so why, you know, so there's this constant angst uh, that um, progressives have with conservative women, right? Why on earth are you voting conservative? It's not in your interest to vote conservative, right? It's more in your interest to vote uh, this other way. And it baffles them that a, a woman might vote conservative because she's against abortion, mm -hmm. right? Because it's, it's a principle, it's a deontological principle. I'm against abortion, right? Um, and so I, it's worth me thinking, you know, putting before other considerations, right? Now we could argue whether or not progressivism does actually advance the interest of these various groups, but certainly that's the perception and that's the message, right? Uh, and I think for progressives, that's kind of why, I think that's a good way of thinking about the difference between um, progressives and conservatives. It's not the only thing. And I, there are, there is one great, I think, deontological principle <laughs> that uh, progressive has, and that's that equality is good and inequality is always bad, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that they're committed to that, like one deontological principle, I think. Uh, Joe, what do you think? I, I want to follow up on the, so the distinction between uh, progressives and conservatives um, and what, what it seems you're, you want to do in the book, right, is sort of take conservatism and the order that it already sort of has and just give the full account, right? Yes, and perhaps right. correct some things along the way, right? Uh, but largely just sort of flesh out conservatism, right? Mm -hmm. Through tradition and natural law and the common good. Uh, now, this might be a little too uh, contemporary and less theoretical in the book, but so there's a lot of, you know, conversation right now about coming together uh, here after the election, right, and, and being united. Now, the, the unity that the political community enjoys is a unity of order, mm -hmm. right, uh, in order to uh, a common good. And the question I, I have is this, uh, progressives and conservatives, even conservatism rightly construed by natural law and the common good, they're, they're so sharply opposed that it doesn't seem to me that they really have any sort of common good that they are cooperating to achieve. Certainly not the common good. There might be a little overlap here, but it seems that, at least arguably, in large part, there is little to no common good between conservatism and progressivism. And if that's true, can you even unite your country mm -hmm. back together, right? Can can conservatives and liberals actually live in the same house? <laughs> I, think, I use liberals there in the wrong sense. Yeah, I know conservatives I think, and progressives. Yeah, right? I think they it'd be darn hard for him to live in the same house. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, uh, another thing I picked up recently was the fact that we're very good at self-selecting uh, uh, on um, marriage on political grounds. <laughs> Actually, conservatives almost always marry other conservatives <laughs> and progressive almost always marry other progressives. It's really interesting. But anyways, um, I think that, um, okay, I'm going to be optimistic. Oh, okay. All right. I I'm going to say, yeah, they can. Okay. Um, for one reason, because I think there is a reality that is the United States of America. And I think there is a, I think that, uh, so as a realist, right? It's kind of like this, even if somebody is debauched, right? In their moral behavior, they do actually have an ultimate end, whether they like it or not, whether they recognize it or not, right? It is there, right? They also have certain proximate ends, whether they recognize it or not. I think that the United States of America does have a common good. We're well, there's a lot of people who don't do a very good job of recognizing it, right? And so the part of a great statesman, right? This would be this would be the, the need, right? Is to draw, is to use language effectively to draw as many people towards the genuine common good as is possible. 
um, that's not going to be as maybe holistic and uniform as one would like, right? Uh, I certainly am sympathetic to thinking that it's, it's too tall a task, but I think, you know, again, like say with, this is going to sound terrible, but say with a child, right? I might get a child to do what he needs to do for reasons other than perfect virtue, even though my aim is perfect virtue. D mm -hmm. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, so yeah. I might use fear of punishment. I might use inducements of, uh, you know, incentives, right? Like, you know, I don't know uh, we'll go out for ice cream. Right. Um, but I'm going to do that in a way towards, right. Um, the common good. Uh, and even if they don't kind of fully realize it, they're going to actually be acting for the common good. Um, so that actually, so well, I don't know. What do you think about that answer? I mean, well, I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's a good answer um, because when, when we're working, so the common good, you know, we want the virtuous exchange of material goods and services, right? Mm -hmm. And not everybody does it from a place of reason. They doesn't actually proceed from virtue. Some people, sure. we just get them to perform an act that resembles virtue and maybe one day will become a truly virtuous act, right? And yeah. that's totally fine, right? right? Uh, we want people to be virtuous, but it's fine if they just act that way. <laughs> <laughs> from a civic perspective, right? right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, no, I mean, classically, okay, right? In natural virtue, practice makes perfect, right? So sure. basically, you develop a habit of acting. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, it mm -hmm. isn't virtue to begin mm -hmm. with. Right. It's just that you perform this kind of action, but eventually it feels wrong to do otherwise. And, and that's when, that's when we say that you have the virtue, but right. So that, I mean, I, I agree as far as that goes where I, the thing is that I, I'm, I'm a lot, this is strange, <laughs> but I, I'm actually more pessimistic. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think what's, I think what's, I think uh, like Rich, you and I have known each other for a long time. I think what's happened is that I have this kind of weird Southern stoic personality. And when uh, things get like really crappy, I start to think, <laughs> Hey, I think we could make it. <laughs> so, well, it's funny because Dr. Smith and I, uh, we do sort of compete. <laughs> who, can be more pessimistic <laughs> but usually dr smith wins that mm -hmm. competition that's and right. but lately i think it's been the other i've been you've been winning that's right yeah that's right. i think we're so sharply divided at this point i i just don't mm. um it, it'd be one thing if we had a king and the king recognized the common good and led the country towards mm. it mm -hmm. uh it, but as we as it is right now, we don't have a king. Instead, we have this, we have this, um, we have this weird kind of system, right, in the Constitution, where you've got two houses of Congress mm -hmm. elected by the people, who themselves are sharply divided by region, and so you have this sharply divided Congress that makes the laws, uh, and this massive administrative bureaucracy mm -hmm. that. Um, reinvents them okay um so i i don't i just don't see the path uh to to restoring any kind of understanding of a, a true common good the what you've got is a lowest common denominator of the mm -hmm. good mm -hmm. which falls really far short of anything sure. that would be classically sure. recognized as a common sure. good we all agree there should be streets and probably internet, but we right. don't really agree on any sort of mm -hmm. higher moral value. Well, I think there's a lot, uh, a large, there are large communities that do have um, overlapping moral commitments, right? Um, we have seen the growth in opposition to abortion over the years, that was about a very minority position in the past uh, when Roe v. Wade was originally passed, right? And it's you know it's it's grown and 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 remained stable. Ruth Bader Ginsburg admitted that she was shocked, right, that people were still opposed, right, uh, to Roe Ro versus Wade now. Um, so, but I mean, I certainly see the incommensurability, right, that you're talking about. I talk about that at the beginning of my book. Um, I see that it's there. 
but because I, I, I think that the common good is a real thing, I think that we can be approaching it, albeit imperfectly, without really necessarily realizing it. We don't have to be philosophers to be good citizens or yeah. even decent citizens. Um, now, that does, I am presupposing at least some level of effective political leadership. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I call the statesman. Um, and, you know, th- that's probably in rare supply. Although I think there are some people maybe, you, you, you know, are out there uh, who are um, good citizens and good men uh, and have some wisdom uh, to go along with it. I think it's, it, you know, it's, it's a big it's a big hill to climb, no doubt. Thanks for joining us today on Take Every Thought Captive. Check out all of our content over at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until next time, God bless.